This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. My name is Ron, and I'm here to talk to you about heaven. That sound like fun? You don't sound real excited about that. You afraid to go on today, huh? No, I'm here to talk to you about heaven. It's great. In fact, we have we have a special uh, deal at the very, very end. So uh, you, you're you're going to want to stay engaged all the way to the very end, uh, because one of the things that I get to do as as a pastor is I get to use words to paint pictures for you. And this morning, uh, it's a daunting task to uh, begin to lay out the portrait of heaven. Uh, but it's a very exciting one. It's one that I'm awfully glad you're here for. And uh, I was just, as I was reading and praying and getting ready for this message, I I was reminded of something that I've kind of known, but maybe not necessarily in these terms. You see, earth is really a mixture of heaven and hell. Not in their full force, but it's like earth is like hell diluted and it's like heaven diluted too. And for those of us who end up in heaven, earth is as close to hell as we'll ever be. But the sad part is, for those who don't end up in heaven, earth is the closest to heaven they ever get. That's kind of sad, isn't it? It really is. The great news is no no one needs to miss heaven. That's the great news. God's made it available to everyone. It, It doesn't cost anything. It's not easy, but it certainly is attainable. Not because of who we are, as we learned last week, but because of God's goodness. In the first two weeks in this series, I've kind of showed you where heaven fits in God's great plan. So this week and next week, we're going to talk about what is heaven like. And then the final week of this series, we're going to talk about, okay, so when is all this going to happen? And, and kind of what order do those things happen in? And that should be a whole lot of fun. So today we're going to talk about redeeming earth. And I, to get you started in that, a couple of things. First of all, open your programs and take out your, your sermon notes out of your programs. And uh, you can fill in the blanks as I go along. And the second thing is I want to give you a review principle. And the review principle is this. As man goes, so goes the earth. You know, there's an organization that does a lot of really wonderful things for people. It's called Habitat for Humanity. And I'm not really here to promote that particular organization, although they are a very good organization. But I want you to understand that they really borrowed the title for Earth. The Earth is the Habitat for Humanity. The Earth was designed by God for you and for me. It's the home that He built for us and prepared for us, and we are designed specifically attuned to the things of this earth. That's not bad. That's a good thing. Sometimes I think that those who write science fiction understand it better than the rest of us because they call us earthlings. Understand? We were, you know, we have so much in common with the earth. We have a common nature. You know why? What's the earth made of? Dust. What are we made of? Dust. 
And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, when man decided to sin, God not only placed man under the concept of death and decay and disease and disharmony, but he also placed the physical earth under those same, well, what people call the curse. And so everything in our physical world, not just man, but everything in our physical world is subject to those four same processes. And and we noted at the time, as man goes, so goes the earth. Now, last week, we broke out God's great plan for redeeming man. That instead of giving up on man and wiping out Adam and Eve and deciding to start all over again, that God decided that He would actually redeem the human race. And so He set about redeeming us, not because of how good we are, but because God is infinitely good beyond anything we can imagine. And though there was very little what we would call redeeming value in us, God decided to redeem us anyway. This morning I want to explore for all of us the concept, okay, so God decided that He would redeem man, so what's He going to do with the earth? Because the same uh, processes of death and decay and disease and disharmony, they're all throughout the earth. They are in all creatures of the earth, and they are even in the earth itself. So what's God going to do with this earth? Will He decide to do with it? what he decided to do with man? Or is he going to wipe it out and start all over again? Wrapped up in that particular concept is another concept. And by the way, what I'm going to share with you, most of what I'm going to share with you this morning um, is very exciting to me because they're concepts that prior to two or three months ago I'd never even investigated or thought about. My concept of heaven had always been it's an ethereal place out there somewhere that after we die, our spirits go to and we live in some sort of a spiritual world that's symbolically talked about in Scripture, but nobody really knows a whole lot about that, but it's a whole lot better than not being there. And and so that sort of thing. Well, this morning we're going to take a look. In fact, I counted up. I'm going to read you actually 49 different verses of Scripture this morning because I want you to understand that the concepts that I'm talking to you about are concepts that are solidly based in Scripture. And uh, so I'm going to take a look at three promises that God makes to us about Resurrection Day. So let's take a look at that first promise. God promises a physical resurrection of our earthly bodies. Now there's bad news and good news in that. For those of you who think, oh, I've been so looking forward to heaven because I was hoping someday I would actually be good looking. (laughs) And now you're telling me God's going to resurrect this thing. I'm not so sure I'm thrilled about that. Well, before you get too distressed about that, the great news is he's not only going to resurrect that body, he's actually going to remake it. And so let's take a look at what God says. The Bible definitely says God is going to physically resurrect our bodies. Let me read to you a couple of passages of Scripture. Someone may ask, how 
will the dead be raised? I know a buddy who was involved in a car accident and the car caught on fire and burned him up and there was nothing left but just little crumbs. What about people who are cremated? There's, there's hardly anything left of them. What about people who got eaten by sharks and digested by the shark and I don't even want to think about where they ended up. Anyway, <laughs> what about those people? Yeah. You know something, the same God who started with a pile of dust and made you has no problem starting with anything that's left of you and remaking you. And there's a whole concept that goes on throughout Scripture that I simply call continuity. For instance, virtually all of us have attended the memorial service of someone that we love dearly. And we miss them. And we've had a pastor stand up and take the Bible and say to us a message of hope, and that is, someday you will see them again. In other words, the same person that they are today, they will be in eternity, albeit in a little different body, but they will be that same person in eternity. Now, God starts that concept of continuity by telling us for sure that He's not going to start with a whole new bunch of molecules and make you out of something new. He's going to start with the body that you have and He will resurrect it and then He will give it an eternal nature that's perfect. Let me read it to you. What kind of bodies will they have? How will the dead be raised? What a foolish question. Now, it's not really a foolish question except if you read it in this context because what these people were saying to Paul is, I don't believe in any sort of resurrection because I don't think God could do that. And he's going, now that's a foolish question. For you to decide not to believe in eternity because you can't figure out how God's going to start with a pile of nothing and make something out of it, then you're writing God off as if he's some sort of human being and can't do that. So then he goes on to say, when you now this is a great word picture, when you put a seed into the ground... It does not grow into a plant unless it what? Dies first. Wow. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever it is you're planting. Then God gives it a new body He wants it to have. Now the great thing is, is there any continuity between a kernel of wheat and the wheat plant? Of course. You plant a kernel of wheat in the ground and you don't get a palm tree, right? There's a continuity that takes place there and and he wants us to know that same continuity. Now, it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they, that is our earthly bodies, will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness but they are raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. So that's the first thing that God wants you to know. The first glimpse into what might happen to this world and everything connected with it is that God will raise your physical body and my physical body, and that's great news. We will live again. Let me read you, even way back toward the beginning of the Bible, a fellow by the name of Job understood this because notice what Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end He will stand upon this earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet what? In my flesh I will see God. 
I will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. Now how my heart yearns within me. Wow. So now God not only gives us those promises, but God gives us a wonderful illustration of those promises. I call this one the primary resurrection illustration. doesn't take a rocket science to figure out who that might be. Who do you think it might be? If you're ever in doubt in church, just say Jesus, okay? All right, so there it is. It's Jesus. Let's take a look at it. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know we will be, what are the next two words? Like Him. Those are the ones I want you to circle In other words, we will be like Jesus, for we will see Him as He really is. Now, what is it that we can know about our bodies in eternity? Well, we know some things about Jesus' body after He was resurrected from the dead. And John is saying we're going to be like Him. So let's take a look at three things that we know for sure about Jesus' body after He was resurrected. The first is this. Oh, well, let me read you this passage too, all right? We are eagerly waiting for Him, that is Jesus, to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own. Another passage that says that our resurrected bodies will be like Jesus' resurrected body, using the same power which He with which He will bring everything under His control. The first thing I want you to know about Jesus' resurrected body is this. His body could be actually physically touched. He was not some sort of disembodied spirit that was floating out there in ethereal space. He had a real physical body that people could touch. In fact, he said, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your minds? It is I myself. Touch me and see. This is when Jesus appeared to his 12 apostles for the first time, and they figured it must be a ghost because Jesus died, and we know that people in the next world have no bodies. And he's going, whoa, whoa, time out. That's a misconception. In the coming world, in eternity, we will have real physical bodies. Jesus said, I've got one. And what does he say to them? Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So that's the first thing we'll know about his body that we will also know about our bodies. And that is we'll have a real physical body that can be touched. When you came in this morning, hopefully somebody touched you. Somebody hugged you. Somebody shook your hand. Somebody patted you on the back. And there's that concept of when we have a physical body and it, and it is touched in a loving and kind way, it does something for our heart. It does something for our spirit. It does something for our soul. And Jesus is saying it's going to be that way in eternity as well. Second thing we know about Jesus' physical body is this. He actually ate physical food. How many of you like to eat? I'm so excited about food in heaven. Can I tell you that? I'm so excited. I'm just praying it doesn't have to be low fat. That's all. All right? Okay. <laughs> because butter is what makes food. Never mind. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> Jesus ate real physical food. In fact, when Jesus appeared to his 12 apostles, they were once again struggling with this concept that Jesus actually had a real body now that he was resurrected. And Jesus said, 
The Bible says they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. And so he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. You know, when I read that, I think, couldn't have done any better than that? Anyway, they gave him a piece of broiled no fish. no offense to all you fish people. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He wanted them to know, you know, the coming world that I'm preparing for you and the body that I'm going to give you is pretty similar to the body you have today, except it has one or two vast differences that we're going to talk about later today. But he certainly was able to eat, and he did eat. A third thing that I want you to know about Jesus, and this is where you really see the concept of continuation. He said, look at my hands. Why look at my hands? He tells them, you'll see, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Even Jesus' resurrected body still had the scars from his crucifixion. That's a very strong statement about continuity. I don't know how all that stuff works, but I can tell you this that people recognized Jesus when they saw him. Now, they may have thought he was a ghost because of their preconceived ideas, but they didn't go, golly, there's a stranger out there walking on the water. wonder who that might be. They knew at least it was Jesus because they could tell that by looking at him. There's every indication in Scripture and throughout Scripture that when we get to heaven, we will not be living in the group of, of a whole bunch of strangers and you go reach out your hand and, Hi, my name is Ron. What's yours? Well, my name's Monica. Oh, you used to be my wife. Wow, that's pretty cool. I don't think it's going to be that. All right? We will know each other. Okay? Yeah. Because there's that wonderful sense of continuity. By the way, you know what this should do? Do you realize that you every day in the way you live and the relationships you're building, you are creating part of the culture of what heaven will be like for you. I often have people tell me, you know, Pastor, what about these people that come to Christ on their deathbed? They lived like the devil all of their life and then somehow a day or two before they die, they call for the pastor and the pastor comes and they're so sorry. You think they actually make it to heaven? You know, if the Bible's true, and it is, yeah, they do. And I'm delighted that they do. I can't imagine wanting anyone not to make it to heaven. But you know something? (laughs) When they get to heaven, do they have any long-term relationships and people that they've shared life with and ministry with and the joy of reminiscing and all the things that they've done and times that they've had together and they were in each other's homes and they had barbecues and all that stuff? They just don't have any culture. They're going to have to start from scratch up in heaven. But for those of us who are already working and and, and experiencing life with Christ and investing our lives in eternal things, we're already creating much of the culture of the heaven that we're going to enjoy. Which gets me out of bed every day and gets me excited every day. What a great, what a great opportunity we have with this continuity. So there you see three things about Jesus. Now, my question is, 
Why do we struggle with this? Why do we struggle with this concept that we'll actually have physical bodies in eternity that are much like our present bodies? Well, I think we do so for two reasons. First of all, because everything, every physical thing that you and I know in this world goes through the processes of death and decay, and we can't imagine that any physical thing could last for eternity. I mean, can you imagine any physical thing that doesn't wear out? I've never seen a physical thing that doesn't wear out. You buy a car, and you think, I just hope to get a few years out of this thing before it becomes a clunker, right? Because eventually, if you drive that car long enough, it's going to fall apart, it's going to wear out, and it's going to become worthless because everything in our physical world is that way. And yet God asks us to believe by faith the truth of what He's telling us, and that is the same God who made this world is making another world, only in this world He's making every physical thing that will last for eternity. He's giving us physical bodies, but physical bodies that need no makeup because they never get wrinkles. You like that? Yeah, for some of you women, that's going to give you an extra half a day every day. Just teasing, all right? Just teasing. I'll pay for that later, I know. <laughs> yeah. For us guys, it means that uh, you don't have to look at us quite like we really are. Yeah. A body that never wears out. It never gets old. It never has aches. It never gets sick. It never has pain. It it never does any of those things. Is that easy to believe? I can't say that it's easy to believe because God's asking us to imagine something that we've never actually seen with our own eyes. But you know, as I look around at this world and I recognize that it's such a complex world that has supernatural design written all over it, I do find it quite believable that the God who made this world and subjected it to death and disease and decay because of sin can easily redeem it and make it perfect as He intended it to be. There's a second reason why we struggle with this. And that is because of a thing that um, Randy Alcorn in his book about heaven calls Christoplatonism. It's a it's a combination of Christianity and and Platonistic theology or philosophy actually. You see, Plato was one of the first guys to come up with the concept of dualism. That everything physical was evil and limiting and everything spiritual was good and, and tended toward freedom. And in fact, Plato actually looked at the human body, and I wrote down this quote. Plato said, The body is a hindrance as it opposes and even imprisons the soul. Now, if you really thought that about your physical body, then the worst news you could ever get is that in eternity you're going to have a physical body. Because if you look at everything physical as evil and bad and, and, and terrible and limiting, then you wouldn't want any of that in heaven. And believe it or not, many of us in the Christian world are influenced by that base level um, philosophy of Plato. 
in spite of what the Bible says. Now, I understand why we would do that, because everything, as we just noticed, everything physical in our world tends toward corruption. (laughs) You make something new, you don't pay attention to it, it rusts. I have a table saw, which I love, my table saw. I have to put rust inhibitor on all the time. i got to wax the surface all the time, because if I just let it go, it just becomes just a collection of rust, and it doesn't work. Everything physical in our world tends toward decay and corruption, and yet God asks us by faith to believe that He is going to make for us a physical world that is perfect, in which there is no corruption, there's no disease, there's no decay, and nothing ever wears out. And that's His promise to us. But you know, if we've taken that small step from the observation of our physical world to believing that because everything in our world decays, therefore everything physical is evil, that doesn't come from Scripture. You know what my Bible says? Every day at the end of creation, and God saw all that He had made, and God said, it is, what's the next word? Good. In fact, Revelation chapter 4 says this. It says, you created all things and they exist because you created what pleased you. Is it hard for you to imagine that physical things actually please God? I think for some Christians it is. Because we get so spiritual that we think anything that smacks of the earth or anything physical, somehow God is turned off by and kind of hates. It's necessary for you physical humans, but somehow God is above and beyond that. You don't get that from Scripture. Because the Bible says that the earth declares the glory of God. He loves the earth. He created it for His own pleasure. He created us for His own pleasure. He made the earth as this beautiful habitat for us because the whole deal brought God a lot of joy. Remember the first sermon in this series, God is the artist, and He threw out, He created that blank canvas, and then He began to paint this eternal painting on that canvas, and it was a painting that He loved. It is the world in which you and I live. Well, then that takes us to the second thing. And the second thing is this. God's promise also includes a physical resurrection of this earth. That's kind of cool to look at. Now, there are many places in Scripture that talk about a new heavens and a new earth. So let's take a look at those. Just a couple of those, maybe three of them. Isaiah 65 says, look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. There's a, I wouldn't call that a hint. I'd call that pretty straightforward, wouldn't you? A new heavens and a new earth. Second Peter chapter 3, God made a promise to us, and we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth wherein goodness lives. And one more passage of Scripture. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
There is no doubt about it. That theme is found over and over and over again in Scripture. We are not being physically resurrected to go out in some ethereal place out there in space where nobody knows where it really is to live in as disembodied spirits, but God is actually making a new heaven and a new earth, and that's where we're going to live. And you can take so many promises in Scripture that, that where God promises, for instance, the meek or the humble will inherit the earth. He's not just talking about now. That's a promise that's made for eternity. Very interesting as you begin to read the Bible in that context because many of the promises that you would struggle to make sense of when you understand that God is physically going to resurrect this earth and He's going to do to this earth exactly what He's going to do to our physical bodies. There will be a continuity, but boy, will this earth be changed. Big time. Just like our bodies will be changed. He resurrects the physical body, then He changes it into an eternal body. He takes this earth. In fact, that last passage that that I just read to you uses a term that you and I often use to describe death. We talk about so-and-so has passed away. Don't we use that term? It's the exact same term. And just like God is going to resurrect our physical bodies, so He will resurrect this physical earth, and then He, I'm going to read you a narrative toward the end that just kind of uses your imagination to help capture that particular day when God physically resurrects the earth and makes it new and the new heavens and the new earth. So those are three passages now. Is it a different earth? Does God start all over again? Does He wipe out the present earth and start all over again? Or is it the same earth, but with whole new things made new? Well, the Bible would seem to indicate He's not going to wipe out the earth and start all over again. In fact, the Bible would indicate, no, He's going to resurrect this physical earth. Look, Take a look at this, Job 19.25. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon what? Oh yeah, Job understood it was this earth. He's going to stand on this earth. Let me read you another passage here in Romans chapter 8, which is even more direct about this. All creation, not just man, I want you to know that. The parts that are in brackets are the parts where I'm giving some explanation. All creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Now, against its will... All creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from what? Death and decay. You know, you and I understand only a tiny, tiny portion of what goes on in creation. Now we see that. I mean... What percentage of what actually goes on in your body do doctors actually know and understand? Well, I think the sicker you get, the more you realize that that they know precious little about a lot of what goes on in there. Yeah. Well, here the Bible says that all creation eagerly waits. I don't know how this earth eagerly waits, but somehow it does. I don't know how the creatures out there eagerly wait, but the Scripture clearly says that they do. There's so many things that actually go on in creation. Uh, Here's a good illustration. 
the, the whole electromagnetic spectrum of waves. What portion of, of that can you and I actually see that appears to us as light? Tiny, tiny portion of it, right? But it's all out there, even though for years we were completely ignorant of most of it, and much of it still we don't understand and can't use, but it's out there, and who knows that maybe we haven't even discovered all of it that's out there yet. Yeah. So, I don't know how all that works, but I do know this, that all of creation, the earth, the heavens in terms of space, all the creatures of this world, someday when God resurrects this earth, they will be set free from death and decay and disease and disharmony, and this world will be made perfect. Just like it was supposed to be, and God always intended it to be. There is one little thing that we're going to talk about as we close that, that well, I call it the bonus factor. And this is the part that I get super excited about. Let's take a look at the bonus factor. Anybody here watch Emerald? What is it that he, bam, right? Isn't that his favorite word? That's when he's going to take a recipe and he's going to raise it to a whole new level by, by I don't know, putting chili in it or something. I don't know. Anyhow, he's, he's going to, yeah, he's going to raise it to a whole new level. Well, I'll tell you something. When God got ready to redeem this earth and to make it new again, and God laid all the plans in place, and God said, I am not going to abandon the creation of my hand. I'm not going to take this beautiful eternal painting that has been ripped. I am not going to abandon it. God says, you wait and see. I'm going to put it back together again, and I'm not only going to put it back together again, but I'm going to put it back together again, and then I'm going to throw in a bonus factor, which makes it better than it ever would have been anyway. You know what that bonus factor is? Hmm. You see, in the original plan, earth was man's habitat. Heaven was God's habitat. And whenever God so desired, God would leave heaven and come to earth and visit with Adam and Eve. You can read about that in the beginning of the Bible. The Bible says that God came to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It was sort of like maybe God and Adam and Eve had a routine. Because it seemed like Adam and Eve kind of knew when to hide. Didn't it seem like that? Or you think they just lived in the bush all day until God finally showed up? I think they knew when He was coming. I think there was some sort of a routine. And so God would leave heaven and He would come to earth and He would visit with Adam and Eve. But we have no indication at all that Adam and Eve could ever leave earth and go to God's home, which was heaven, and visit God where God lived. And God said, when I redeem this earth and when I redeem mankind, I am going to take earth and heaven and I'm bringing them together. That's pretty exciting. Let me show you how the Bible talks about that. Here it is. In my Father's house are many places to live. If it weren't, I would have told you so. 
Because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Since I am going and preparing a place for you, I will return and take you with me so that where I am, you may also be. Jesus didn't say, oh, that's all right, guys. You're going to go to heaven and I'm going to come and visit you often. Now, what does he say? Where I am, that's where you're going to be. Let me read you another passage of Scripture that carries with it the same concept. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Another giant hint. Now let me give you the one that just kind of comes right out and spells it out here in Revelation. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is where you underline, now the dwelling of God is where? Wow, with men. And He will live with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has what? Passed away. That's the old earth, subject to death and decay. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha. That's the the first letter in the Greek alphabet. And the Omega. That's the last letter in the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the end To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of water of life. He who overcomes will, will what? Inherit all of this. We talked about inheriting the earth. will inherit all of this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. You know, if we had time, there are literally hundreds of scriptures in the Bible that talk about this concept. It's a great concept. In fact, if we were to go ahead and read the rest of Revelation chapter 21 when it talks about the new heavens and the new earth that are all now, that will at that point all be together and God will actually live with us and we will live with God. It talks about rivers and it talks about springs and it talks about trees and it talks about plants and it talks about leaves and it talks about fruit and it talks about... um, vast structures that are built, not not necessarily created, but built and so forth. And I don't want to get too much into that because next Sunday I want to talk to you about lifestyles of the redeemed and eternal. And uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun because we're going to get it, we're going to begin to explore what that what it's what it's going to be like in that world. But I want you to understand for this morning that God is creating for us a fabulous place. It's a new earth. It's going to have mountains and valleys and rivers and streams. It's going to have all the stuff that you and I love now. Why do we love it so much now? Because we were made to live here. It's our home. It is our home. As we close, I want to give you one thought, a scripture, and then I want to read you something. The thought is this. Our hope is not that God would rule and reign in heaven. He already does. But here's our hope. Our hope is that God would reign on this earth someday exactly as He does in heaven. And friends, that theme is found throughout Scripture 
over and over again. We're going to see a bunch of those next week. But that's our hope, and that's what we live in every single day, that God would reign on this earth. In fact, what did Jesus teach us to pray? Here it is. Your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth, even as it is in heaven. You know something? That's going to happen someday. Christ will reign on this earth, and it will be changed into the new earth, and He will reign forever on this earth, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Randy Alcorn, who wrote the book Heaven, wrote a narrative. And I just want to read it to you, but I want to say a couple things to you before I read it to you because if you're not fairly conversant with the Scriptures in the Bible, there are some, there are some word pictures that he uses in here that you might not fully understand and that's okay. I won't have time to explain them all this morning. But I, you will not miss just the, the emotion of what's going to happen on that day when Jesus comes again and God decides to make a new heavens and a new earth. Let me read. It's the final day of the battle between the forces of good and evil. The battle cry of a hundred million warriors erupted from one end of the heavens to the other. There was war on that narrow isthmus between heaven and hell, a planet called earth. The air was filled with the din of combat, the wails of oppressors being slain, and the joyous celebrations of the oppressed rejoicing that at long last their liberators had arrived. Some of the warriors sang, swinging swords with one arm and with the other pulling victims up onto their horses. The long arm of the king moved with swiftness and power. The hope that had kept the sufferer sane was vindicated at last. No child of heaven was touched by the sword this day, for the universe could not tolerate the shedding of one more drop of righteous blood. Heaven released fury. Hell bled fear. It was the old world's last night. At the king's command, Michael raised his mighty sword and brought it down on the great dragon, his muscles bulging at the strain. Michael picked up his evil twin and cast the writhing beast into the great pit. The mauler of men, the hunter of women, the predator of children, the persecutor of the righteous shrieked in terror, the vast army of heaven's warriors cheered. The battalions of the king gazed on the decimated face of the earth, the scorched soil of the old world. Nothing had survived the flames of this holocaust, nothing but the king's word, his people, and the deeds that they had done. Soldiers dropped their weapons. The crippled tossed their crutches and ran. The blind opened their eyes and saw. They pointed and shouted and danced, throwing their arms around each other, for each knew that any now left on the earth were under the king's domain and could be fully trusted. The king gathered his children to his lap, and he wiped away their tears. The sound of a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and the loud peal of thunder, shouted, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. All eyes turned to the King. 
the universe, the entire universe, fell silent, anticipating his words. I, I will turn this wasteland into a garden, the king announced. I will bring here the home I have made for you, my bride. There will be a new world, a life-filled blue-green world greater than all that has ever been. The shadow lands are mine again, and I will transform them. My kingdom has come. My will shall be done. Winter is over. Spring is here at last. A great roar arose from the vast crowd, and the king raised his hand upon seeing the scars. The cheering crowds remembered the unthinkable cost of this great celebration. Warriors slapped each other on the back. The delivered hugged their deliverers, enjoying a great reunion with those who had once parted from them by death. The multitudes innumerable began to sing the song for which they had been made. A song that echoed off a trillion planets and reverberated in every nook and cranny of creation's expanse. Audience, orchestra, and choir all blended into one great symphony, one grand cantata of rhapsodic melodies and sustaining harmonies. All were participants, all except for one, the king. This song was for him. The smile of the king's approval swept through the choir like fire through dry wheat fields. And when the song was complete, the king stood, raised his mighty arms, and then clapped his nail-scarred hands in thunderous applause that shook the ground in the sky. In that instant, Every one of the multitude realized something with undiminished clarity. They wondered why they had not seen it all along. What they knew in that moment, in every fiber of their beings, was that this place and this person were all that they had ever really longed for or ever would. This was home. Father, we look forward to that day. And God, I just have to say that we probably go through so many days completely focused on this world and forget that it's passing. That you're creating a new heavens and a new earth. And if we could just remember that today, it would make a difference in how we lived this day. We would recognize that we, what we do here really does not only count for eternity, but in many, many ways we get to start eternity now. Living life with You. Meeting with You. Talking with You being instructed by You through Your Word, being with Your people, sharing life with Your people. Father, would You just help us to understand that? And Lord, in amazement, someday we will stand with a front row seat and watch You create a new heavens 
and a new earth and speak them into existence. And we long for that day when we are set free from the limiting factors of this life. Father, your plan is good. Your plan is great. We are so blessed that you have redeemed us and will redeem eternity for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.